Hi everyone, in this episode we discuss the Batman. We don't think we spoiled too much, but be aware, if you haven't seen the film yet and you want to go in completely fresh, maybe add this one to the queue and listen to it after you see the movie. We good? Alright, enjoy the show. You going? Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So I asked you to press play in the middle of this, what one might describe, fateful discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like the listeners might have an opinion on, on this. So we were having a discussion about whether or not I've got what Johnny calls a cold open and what I call a pre-bit. So this discussion is about the different sections of the podcast well, and what I, they're called. I mean, and he I, said the bits of the bits, and it just I got no, very, the very confused. The pre-bit is the bit before we watch the movie. The cold open is this bit, right. which we're doing now. Okay. But, no, and then but there's the intro. I know that this is called the cold open, but I also call the cold open the pre-bit. If you look through like so, my sort of so notes... here's where you're getting confused, is that, that you're confusing things. No, I think that you've confused me because you say pre-bit all the time, and I think you mean the cold open. So really, this is your fault. No, the pre-bit is before the movie. So run through this for me. Yes. We've got... Uh, how do we start? What's the structure? We've okay. got cold well, open, we've got which cold... I'm supposed to be providing yes, now. that you're providing now. Right. Okay. And, um, and then we have the intro. Right, which comes right after the main o- sequence, the opening sequence. Yeah, which comes after the theme, yes, okay. the, 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 the jingle, whatever. Right. Yep. Okay, and then we have context. Okay. And so then... context isn't part of the intro. That's no, a different no, bit. the intro is the bit where I try and say something funny. But is context what you us. would also call the pre-bit? Yes. See? <laughs> Do you see? You're, yeah. you're the problem because you call multiple things. You're like those people who use the same word for many different things. Well, context is part of the pre-bit. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, what else is part of the pre-bit? What falls under the banner of pre-bit? That's it. That just, pre-bit, so the pre-bit it is could the bit just where be we, called context. It could just be called context, but, you know, we, we, we said pre-bit a couple of times and it just sort of stuck, but okay, it doesn't so necessarily the, have to be called the pre-bit. It could so just be called context. The pre-bit, and then there's the watching the movie. The watching the movie. Right? Yep. And then, and then what? And then, what, the body of the podcast? Yes. What do you call that? You call it the body? Well, I mean, yes, there's the body. And we have all the games and all that kind of stuff that, that right. sort of crop up in different places every episode. And then, and then the, the outro. And, and, at well, the end. Yeah, the, 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 the summation. Yeah. Summation. That's yeah. what you call it, the summation? Well, I, I don't know, whatever. I'm really glad that we were able to clear <laughs> this up because there's no way that I'm following this. Roll that intro, please. What's our seat number? Hello, and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the show that asks questions like, why is the rum gone? I'm Johnny Gross, a filmmaker, a podcaster, and an aspiring tree surgeon. With me, as always, is my co-host, a 3D graphic artist, the third grumpy old man, assistant to the regional manager. In high school, he was voted as man most destined to tell people to get out of his train. It's Simon Gross. <laughs> That's actually true, that last one. Indeed. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about... Um... Wait, what's, what's this word? The... 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 the right. The, the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you, have you put in brackets there, quote, dumb and dumber, or what? No, 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 I've just written, today we're going to be talking about dot, 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 wait, comma, what's this word? Te-he, te-he, oh, the Batman. <laughs> you actually wrote it out. Brilliant. Yes. Of course okay, I did. Keep going. I say that before we get into the nitty of the gritty of the Batman, mm. uh, let's Wait, go... Wait, su- is it called the body or is it called the nitty of the gritty? Because you, you now, you've thrown in another... Don't overanalyze it. All right, go on. Okay. I think we should uh, head over to the uh, the news desk mm-hmm. for some... Movie news. Okay, so this isn't exactly news, um, but something that I discovered uh, this week. 
There is a movie in existence called Sharkula. <laughs> and I want to read you... <laughs> I want to read you the blurb. Okay. <clears throat> the curse of Count Dracula lives on in shark-infested waters, claiming the lives <laughs> of a tourist community. A sea hunt for the new species results in monsters, madness, and bloodshed. This great white is putting the bite back into terror, and it has help with the aid of new vampires intent on seeing it survive. <laughs> um... I watched the trailer. There's a trailer as well. You didn't yeah, send me yeah, that. Yeah, there's a trailer. It looks like it was filmed on somebody's phone. Um, <laughs> in a similar vein, the same director has made Amityville in Space. <laughs> <laughs> the official blurb reads as follows. The ultimate battle against the Amityville curse begins after the infamous murder house is... Wait for it. <laughs> exorcised from Earth and reappears in outer space. <laughs> In Amityville in Space, coming this July. You won't want to miss it. Can I ask you a question? (laughs) So, fine, it's been exercised and it's reappeared in space. How is it a threat? Do they send up astronauts to fight the horror? Or, like, you don't don't know? know. If there's a trailer, I will check that out and I will let you know next week. I'm just wondering if we should watch one of these for the podcast. Maybe. (laughs) Um, But what Johnny did, what you did was you sent me... Um, you said this to me, and you you went, "What the hell?" Period. Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> so your your incredulity is uh, somewhat offset by how you actually do think that you'd spend money on this. Actually, I don't know. I I, I think. Maybe and then underneath I, that, you've written, "Oh my god, it looks like someone took a shit and released it as a film." <laughs> so I think we can say that you're slightly conflicted about this. Uh, yes, I think this, so. Uh, I think so. Little bit of movie news. Indeed. <laughs> Um, the amateur villain space thing is something I really want to see. Production of Scream 6 is slated to begin this summer for a 2023 release. Oh, nice. Under the title of, wait for it, and this is real, The Scream. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. One of the first screenings of The Batman went viral when moviegoers were given something they hadn't bargained on as the cinema was invaded by real bats. The video taken by one of those watching the movie was uploaded to Twitter after a fluttering sound was heard and real bats began flying around the room. While there are many movies that have been shown in 4D with special effects enhancing the experience, <laughs> this was not supposed to be one of them and completely unexpected to those in attendance. But but was this done on purpose by the cinema or or I think I think it was just some freak <laughs> some yeah Really? I think just some dude decided to release... Oh, some dude. I think so, yeah. I can just imagine the guy sitting in the projector room, sort of, like, sliding that little window at the top open, like... <laughs> and just, like, having a bucket of bats and, like, opening the bucket and be like, Fly, my friends! Fly! Fly! You want <laughs> Cinema 4D? I'll give you Cinema 4D. That was... Movie News. We are going to now talk about The Batman... Uh, which is the subject of today's episode. The other night we went to see the Batman, and uh, if you follow our Facebook page, uh, you will find a mini-sode from the field uh, in which you can see us bickering and um, being (laughs) idiots uh, on the way to and on the way from uh, seeing the movie. One second. Soda. So, general thoughts. What did you think about the Batman? Did you enjoy it? Um, I enjoyed it very much. I, I came out of the cinema. It was a very long movie. Yeah. Um and I f- and and I'm you know we're both parents and so you know I make it to the end of a day and I'm very very tired. So a 3-hour movie is very 
heavy for me. But as time went by from leaving the cinema, getting home, I got into bed and I was like thinking about it. I fell asleep. I woke up in the morning. I was still thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, I was just like, this is one of my favorite Batman adaptations. Right. Um, and and we can get into why, and I'm sure in your categories it's going to answer some of those those whys. Right. Uh, but my general thoughts are that a I want to go see it again in the cinema. Um, and, I do as well. Do you want to go? I, I really do, but um, I don't know <laughs> that I can. Um, and and b is that it's um, it's something I want I want to share with people. And I want I want people to be excited about. Like I I. I, uh, I, I felt like not only was it a good Batman movie, but it was also a good movie. Right. And, and those are some, those are some tricky, like when you're, when you're dealing with superhero movies or hero movies, it's kind of hard to sort of strike that balance of, you know, this is not only, you know, a spectacle, which it wasn't, right? I mean, it was, but it wasn't one of those, because there's so many um, superhero movies now where it's just, you know, special effects and lots of, you know, and I'm also finding now lots of um, uh, articles online uh, about how much was done practically in this movie. Which is um, a lot. Which is a lot. Yeah. And and that excites me to watch it again and, and, and sort of, you know, wait, that wasn't that wasn't special effects. Like that's really cool. So um so my general vibe is is very, very positive. I have a couple of things Caveats. I I'm I, a couple of things that they didn't um ruin it for me at all but um i would like to see a progression of them in the next movie right, towards right, right, right. A, a different direction so, so i have a so few of those as well um your thoughts my thoughts on the length was that the first time you're watching it you're trying to keep track of all yeah. the various plot points um and there's a lot going on in terms of and, and very similar to the uh to the dark knight as well mm-hmm. um I, I would say the dark knight trilogy to be honest because uh the dark knight i think is um has has a lot of sort of uh, twisty turny uh, yeah. um, sort of plot points and whatnot, um, but I, and I think it, it's it's very much true to the comics as well that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff going on with the mob and the different families and uh, you know you if if you're coming into it completely. Um, completely clean and you have no idea about anything you're just a casual you know bat fan or uh, you know your your husband or your wife has dragged you along um then you're not gonna know who uh sal maroni is you don't know who falco uh, yeah. who falcone is um you know uh, or, or or the falcone si- as they correctly say in the movie right okay falcone sent them to kill you why you rattled his cage what's this <coughs> um leverage <laughs> would you like a lozenge <laughs> a lozenge it's, it's leverage to get things moving um <laughs> when, when did mary poppins get cast as batman <laughs> so come on now joker into arkham asylum's pit spot <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is the is the amateur village space that i want to see for batman <laughs> mary poppins y'all um so um yeah so i'm so i'm saying that um that in terms of uh, you know, sort of, I, I, I found myself shifting in my seat a little bit, mainly because, as you said, I was tired. Mm. Um, but I was, my attention was always held. I was always completely immersed. Mm. But I felt, as I said to you in the car uh, after we saw the movie, I felt like I was watching a live action representation of one of the graphic novels or one of the adaptations of the graphic yeah. novels. Uh, you know, that the, there's a... Um, that there's a running theme in all of those sort of more hard-boiled uh, noirish detective uh, 
uh, graphic novels uh, such as The Long Halloween or Year One, etc., etc., that you've got those narration boxes where Batman yeah. is, uh, is narrating and, uh, you know, sort of being... Um, uh, In all the Batman comics, it's, right. it's every single one he's, he's narrating. Yeah, but you sort of hear it differently when it's, uh, when it's so... Uh, when it when it's very much a, a noirish um, uh, novel. Well, w- one of the brilliant things about um, uh, Year One, the graphic novel, is that the the boxes are presented as, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's Year One. They're presented with with dates on them, right? And and uh, and it feels like diary entries. Well, the same thing with the Long Halloween, in... which is uh, which. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that they decided to do that for for this movie, right? Um, with with the, first of all with the voiceover that you know I I personally feel that with all of the spoofing of of Batman and his voice and all that stuff that that could easily feel um, trite, right? Right. But it's, voiceover um, in general is a very dangerous thing to do. But it's how they present it is that right. he's writing, he's keeping a diary because he says the knights are starting to right. run into each other, and you know it, this is how I kind of keep track of what's going on and keep my sanity. And the thing is, is that this is this is a really good representation of the endless struggle that Batman goes through. Like uh, right. I was uh, doing a stream yesterday, and one of my friends. A uh, very talented streamer, uh, the Rujum, uh, was saying, um, you know, he, he he's, um, you know, that Batman's not a superhero. His superpower is money, and I was saying it's his willpower, right? Willpower, oh, is absolutely. His that he gets completely pummeled and he still gets up, and, and, and he, that he at night after night, and he doesn't sleep because he he has right. nightmares about his parents' death, which, by the way, we don't see in this movie. Right. right, we hear about it, which it's like it's that he, beautiful no, he's thing that they did. Obviously, with, affected by it. Yeah, it's like um, with, um, with the Spider-Man uh, introduction in um, uh, Civil War, right. and then, and then uh, Homecoming. Uh, is that we don't see Uncle Ben's death because we all know that Uncle Ben dies, mm-hmm. right? So we don't. We know that Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne are murdered, and that's how Bruce went. And and that that wonderful um, acknowledgement of the audiences, and and then. They do talk about it later in the movie, right? Where you know, yeah, they don't treat the audience like imbeciles. That's, yeah, uh, that was that was something that I really appreciated. But I I also think that um, that it's it's a kind of style that wouldn't necessarily exist in cinematic Batman if it yeah. wasn't for the Nolan trilogy. Yeah, um, and and I'll get into that a little bit more later. But as I was saying, the the idea of the uh, the the talking about the runtime, it is a very long movie. But I think if I went to see it again, I wouldn't feel it as much because I wouldn't have to concentrate as much on the uh, on the plot. I know what happens. I know who's who, and uh, and it would and and I'm and I think a lot of movies are like that for me. That if I'm seeing it for the second time and I know more or less where it's going, um, and I'm not sort of shocked by certain things, uh, you know, like like sometimes you have these uh, these twists and you're spending a lot of time, like maybe ten minutes after something happens, going. Did they really just do that? If you if you know about it and you don't go in surprised, then um, you know then you can just enjoy the movie and let it wash over you. Well, the the duel, um, I had a, a a duel kind of thing going on in my head where I was like, you know, this is a really long movie, but at the same time, I was going, I don't want this to end because exactly. this is a very it needed to be as long a... as it was. I thought that the runtime yeah. was absolutely warranted. And if you think about the long Halloween. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever timed yourself reading a graphic novel, um, but uh, but like 
when you when you watch the uh, the long Halloween part one and part two, the animated uh, yeah. DC movie, uh, it comes out to about three hours. Um, yeah, but they uh, they added a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but I'm yeah. saying that, that it felt like. Yeah, and this is why I said you in the car as well. Like, yeah, there's there's reading the graphic novel, but the, for me, the animated movies brought the graphic novels to life. Yeah, because what you see in the cinematic Batman is not the same as what you see in the graphic novels. Yeah, um, so that to me was always like Mask of the Phantasm and uh, and Halloween and Year One and and all of that stuff. Uh, and the Killing Joke as well. A lot of people don't like the Killing Joke. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, and I'm talking about the animated, yeah, uh, yeah. the animated movie. Um, and that to me is the is the mo- is the purest representation. What Bruce Tim and Paul Dini managed to do with the, with the animated series and what they've continued to do in their in their various adaptations of the graphic novels is distill the graphic novels into a audio visual medium. I feel like Paul Dini uh, as a, as a Batman writer, yeah, right? Excellent. He just gets it and he gets um he gets the the fact that a villain uh like needs to needs to have some depth to him it's not right. just mustache twirling like the his his adaptation of the joker is m- one of my favorites now, of course there's no paul dini joker without mark hamill and we'll talk about all of that, you know, in the next, in the episode. next episode. But yeah. but I'm just saying that Paul Dini, as a Batman writer, he understands that world. He gets it. And more, more, more Paul Dini. And actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they're currently in production on a new animated series with Paul Dini writing it. Like, I'm, I, I I'm in the front that, row, as I'm, well. I'm like, I'm, I saw that news and just the, oh, the shivers. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm sure they won't be able to bring back Mark Hamill. Um, and I think it would be silly to do so now. I but don't know. I'm. I, I think they might. His I mean, he, voice. He, his voice has changed uh, he d- he very did, much. He did voice the Joker in the Killing Joke, and that was only a few years ago. Yeah, he also voiced the and Joker Kevin in, Conroy in the as video well. games, right? Yeah, I think that um, the, the I wouldn't count him out. I, I wouldn't count either of them out. I think no. that uh, that because of the longevity mm-hmm. of uh, of the animation medium yeah um because they're only using their voices yeah uh there's no limit to uh, to how long they can go on yeah um so so yeah i mean they i think both kevin conroy and mark hamill uh really really enjoy doing what they're doing what they've done in the past and i i, I think that uh it's very possible they come back anyway back to the batman to me it um it jumps from the graphic novels to the animated movies the batman yeah. Right. Nolan's vision is very much Nolan. Yeah. Um, and he does use a lot of the comics as inspiration, and I think, um, it, I think they're they're excellent. Um, but to me, the Batman really brought those graphic novels to life and yeah. a lot of those elements that we hadn't yet seen. And that's one of the things I really love about the, about Batman in general as a character and the way that he's been treated in, in, uh, in cinema mm. is that in the same way that the comics kept reinventing him, uh, the the movies are doing the same thing. Yeah. So there's a, each director that comes along, and this segues into the first category, which is direction. Mm. Each director that comes along um, finds new ways to bring new elements, uh, new for new for the uh, for the cinematic Batman, uh, new in general, but also bringing in a lot of things from the graphic novels that we haven't seen before in cinematic Batman. Um, and and it, they always have something new to say, something something fresh to bring to it, um, which you know, like when you when I first saw the Amazing Spider-Man, I didn't think that uh, that it was valid. 
I didn't think it was necessary to to reboot it and start again. Yeah. Um, because what uh, what they what they did was they they showed the spider bite again. They showed Uncle Ben's death again. Yeah. There's all of that stuff like starting from scratch, reinventing, etc., etc., etc. But uh, but it didn't feel like it was adding anything to the uh, to the mythos. Um, and and here uh, what you're what you're getting is uh, is is a is a new take. But it's still very much recognizably Batman, and yeah. I think that that, that that's a very uh, a very unique thing to that character. Yeah. Um. And and it also means that every single adaptation is valid because you've got Batman v Superman and and Justice League, and, yeah. and I and I I mean Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. Um. And if you don't like that uh, that representation of Batman, then don't worry. There's another one. Yeah. Uh, if you're not a fan of Christian Bale's Bat voice, there's Robert Pattinson. If you're not a fan of that, you've got Michael Keaton. If you're not a fan of Michael Keaton, you've got Val Kilmer, etc., etc. There's yeah. like there's all of the various colors of Batman throughout the years, throughout the last eighty odd years, um, are starting to be represented in uh, in movies. Yeah. And uh, and I really appreciate that. Um, and and I think that uh, that as a director, Matt Reeves really, really like. I mean, originally the 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 history of it for anybody that doesn't know was that um, was that Ben Affleck was originally going to star, write, and direct. Yeah, the Batman. It was called the Batman at the time as well. Um, and uh, it was gonna the villain was gonna be Deadshot. Yeah. Um, and uh, Matt Reeves said that he read it and it was brilliant and that it was more like a James Bond movie. Uh, but uh, but the, he had a different take. He wanted to make a hard-boiled uh, noirish detective yeah. uh, movie. Um, and uh, and I think that um, the what Matt Reeves did coming in and and uh, and reshuffling everything and bringing in Robert Pattinson, um, you know, it uh, it was just a masterstroke. And yeah. and also Robert Pattinson is a very left field choice. Yeah. And I learned a very very long time ago we're talking around about 2006 when uh, when casino, casino royale, royale came out yeah that um you know i was i was up in arms like everybody else i said that's not james bond that's uh he's, he's blonde he's muscly yeah. he's short all that kind of stuff until i saw the first teaser trailer and then i was like okay i'm in yeah and from then on i have shut my mouth until every time until i've seen give the guy a chance and it was the same thing with heath ledger a lot of people went nuts about heath ledger did you not see monster's ball did you not see you know all, all of the various things like brokeback mountain all the various things that he'd yeah. done up until that point um that he he was a fantastic actor and i said you know what trust in nolan heath ledger's a great actor we'll see yeah and he blew everybody away uh and the same thing here with robert pattinson i i did not believe that twilight was his you know, was was his be all and end all? His no, we're way past end. that now. Like of course. the lighthouse. The lighthouse. Did you see the lighthouse? I haven't seen the lighthouse. It's good. You should watch I, it. It's, I, it's 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 a trip. It's a trip. Yeah, it's it's a little bit trippy. But like, um, you know, he's he's been in a few things. Yeah, didn't you he see him with in David Tenet? Cronenberg. Yeah, David Cronenberg. He worked with Tenet as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he was excellent in that. I was like, hmm, could he be the next James? But anyway, um, th- there was a certain amount of that. I thought he was very suave, but also he was really good at the action. Yeah. And when I saw the first trailer, you have that shot of him um, whipping his head round in the funeral scene, and yeah. then jumping, jumping on the kid, jumping on the kid, and you know, like sort of pushing him out of the way. That was the point where I said, "Okay, I was not not exactly on the fence. I was like, I'm, I'm going to give this guy a, a, a chance. Yeah. Wait till I see something. I have just seen something, and that was excellent." There was there was that moment in the in the first trailer, which has been seen in I think two trailers, but or the, whatever. It's the, the very beginning of the movie, where there's like the the guys with the face paint, 
and you know he goes i'm vengeance right oh yeah yeah um and the way that he punches that guy into a pulp right yeah um and the way that he um uh uses the the taser uh on one of the other guys like he just pushes him up against a pillar and he could have held that taser to the guy for like a second and a half and he would have been out but he puts it against the guy's neck and he's like in his face and he's like you know um you know tasing him and he holds it for a good like eight seconds before he lets him fall to the ground yeah i was like this is a batman who is not only violent but he's he's showing that that um that thing that that they're always saying in you know uh, arkham asylum is like you know they've they've got a room uh, for him you know they've got a padded cell for batman right exactly when he, he's, when he's he loses, very much unhinged. yeah and and so the the unhinged side of batman is something that um you know we we don't get to see very often and and i felt like the uh, that first trailer made me go you know i had no thoughts either way about robert pattinson i i don't i don't uh i didn't think he'd be bad i didn't think he'd be good i was just like i i want to see and that trailer made me go. But this also, is you don't know you don't know in advance necessarily what the take on it is. Yeah, because people are going, "Oh, he's not as muscly as Ben Affleck or Christian Bale," and he's, you know what? But the but the it's but not the fact about how is, muscular he is. No, but like at the at the at the beginning, before you've seen a frame, you're thinking about him like physically, aesthetically, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I just thought, you know what? That maybe they have an idea of what they're going to do with him. Um, and he, he really knocked it out of the park. He I did. think he was excellent. And uh, the decision to um, to sort of, instead of, you know, putting on a bat voice, he sort of drops his uh, his tone down to a whisper. Yeah. Um, and the fact is he doesn't have to uh, disguise his voice because he's as reclusive as Howard Hughes. Yeah. Nobody really knows Bruce Wayne, you know, at this point in uh, in year two. So, um, so yeah, I, I, thought he, I thought he did an excellent job. What I thought, as opposed to Bale... Yeah. Um, was that Pattinson had a costume that he filled out and was comfortable in. Yeah. That he wore it as a second skin, which uh, which Bale always seemed uncomfortable in his costume and his uh, his jaws always kind of like jutting out. And, and I never thought that he really wore he the costume. Wore he didn't wear it. Yeah. He, was a, he was a fantastic Bruce Wayne and uh, and his Batman was very intense. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, aesthetically, in terms of the costume, it didn't really... Uh, it, it was still that same heavy rubber that uh, that Keaton and Kilmer and Clooney were wearing. Um, and now you've got, like, sort of a, a thinner leather, um, you it's know, like for the body cow. Armor. I, I body you, armor. Did you see the yeah. video I sent you yesterday of the Arkham Knight suit? I didn't see it, no. In the third game in the Arkham series, um, you know, you get, like, a new, a new version of the Batsuit and you, you know, he puts his hand against the the pod that it lands in, and you know, opens it up with his handprint while wearing gloves. Go figure. Uh, but like, uh, you know, it opens up, and and all of these pieces, Iron Man style, like you know, he puts them on, and they like slide and slot into place, and it's like a a metallic, uh, uh, not a metallic, yeah, kind of kind of just like a like a mechanical like an, a mechanical armor kind of breathes with, with different pieces and yeah. it moves and it um there's like this leather weave underneath it and and I wonder if they were maybe um influenced by by how that looked because it's um it's very sort of uh it moves it it it, it feels very uh protective i guess is the word like right you know and because like body it, armor if you look at the comics like it's uh it's very much open to interpretation because a lot of the uh 
a lot of the time in the comics, what you what you're seeing is basically fabric. Yeah. Like when he takes off the cowl and he's holding it, it's always like drooping like fabric. Yeah. And when it when his uh, when his his gray like sort of the torso part of his suit rips, it's like fabric. Yeah. You know, and and it's something that's uh, that's very much open to interpretation by the costume designer. And I think also that's another thing that um, that wouldn't necessarily have have come to. Uh, come to fruition without uh without the nolan trilogy interpreting the um the physicality and the functionality of the suit yeah um which i which i think is just invaluable for the uh for for the rest of batman going forward in the same way that uh that you know Zack snyder took inspiration from that as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah direction uh, oh, I just want to, yes, I, no, I just want to, I just want to wrap up the, the I, like, there was a, a shot in the trailer that, um, of when Penguin is, uh, is in the car and he's upside down and he mm-hmm. sees Batman walking towards him in the rain with the fire in the background yeah. in slow motion. Um, at that point, you know, I looked at it and I went, Matt Reeves, man. Yeah. You know, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, this is, uh, I think this is supposed to be in trivia corner, but I'm going to say it here. Um, <laughs> Matt Reeves' first movie was the pallbearer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, with uh, with uh, with David Schwimmer. David uh, David Schwimmer and Gwyneth Paltrow and Barbara Hershey. Yeah, and um, I actually quite enjoyed that movie when yeah. I was when I was younger. Um, I always I found David Schwimmer to be basically playing a different uh, version of Ross and you know like a, a, a different variation of the same character um and i i, I quite like that movie there were certain things that were heartfelt there were certain things that were funny um and then and then he went on to do uh cloverfield and uh the the second two planet of the apes movies in the uh in the trilogy yeah um and i i think that he was uh that he was always one to watch and this movie has now completely solidified him as one of those directors to like, you know, the, there's a new Matt Reeves movie coming yeah. out. I'm going to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think that the, there's a lot of very um, interesting decisions going on here yeah. uh, that, uh, that sort of show an individuality as a director. Uh, 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 an intimate understanding of not just what makes Batman Batman, but what makes his world Gotham, what right. makes Gotham Gotham. Right. right. But also what makes a, a good movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's being the, able to take all those things and put them together. Right. And keep that ship on on course. Yeah. Um, is, uh, I, I, I cannot imagine how difficult it must be. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much free reign he was given, but, you know... I'm thinking quite a lot, having seen the movie. Like, you know, it's a three-hour movie. Well, you never know whether he had to, like, fight for things and stuff. Like He, he, he probably he, did. I think he, everybody does. He, he... You can just feel, like, I... There are times when I, I go and I watch a movie in the cinema and, I, and I'm going, you know... There, there is some confusion in tone. There is some... Like, even with Afterlife, right? There is some... That moment where... Um, you know, she rips off the... Yeah, that was the moment the that I didn't like, yeah. Yeah. Um, that That is a very confused direction decision. Like, yeah, it, because it's, it's now very cartoony. Yeah. And... Uh... And and sort of only for the purposes of harking back, yeah. um, as opposed to keeping with the tone of the the sort of uh, the sort of coming of age, um, you know, sort of Goonies, I guess, uh, yeah. style, um, kind of an indie trapping of a Ghostbusters movie that Jason Reitman has established. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where that fits in. It right. doesn't. Whereas I think Matt Reeves keeps the tone very consistent throughout. 
Um, he's uh, and and there are certain decisions that I could see uh, studio execs balking at. For example, when the Riddler takes down Gil Coulson uh, in his car and it's completely out of focus. Yeah, um, that shot goes on for quite a while. Yeah, it's, and it that's makes you very, uncomfortable. It makes like, you uncomfortable, yeah. and it's also a very indie idea. It's not yeah. a mainstream style shot. Yeah, and I love that kind of thing. Again, for example, the uh, the scene in Casino Royale when um, when Bond uh, is poisoned and he goes into the uh, to the toilet and everything's um, you know kind of hazy yeah. and there's the, the shutter speed is ramped up and yeah. you know everything's echoey and whatever. That's that is a is a distinct visual choice. Yeah an aesthetic choice that is not necessarily something that you've ever seen in a Bond movie before. It's it's also a brilliant, the, the, of, of evoking, um, a character's feeling right. visually making you feel that thing. Like with, with Bond, you know, that moment where he's like, you know, it's all very hazy and you said it's like very, the camera's very, you know, stuttery, jittery. jittery yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm feeling dizzy. I'm feeling distressed, you know? Right. And so in this moment where, you know, the Riddler's behind him and he's clamping something onto his head. Right. Um, some device, which you can see the lights, but it's all blurred. Right. In the same it, way you that... You are Gil, yeah, not Gil knowing cannot, yeah. what is being put on him. There's a confusion there and there's a distress there. And I'm not only uncomfortable because of the idea of getting into your car in the dark and having someone sitting in the back seat. Like, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes, you know, if I've parked somewhere like dark and I go there back to the car and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I always look in the back seat. Now I know that you can't well, I really don't, hide, but in... I will now. <laughs> I'm gonna hide in your back seat now. No, but the, the, oh, for fuck's sake. but you can't hide in the back seat of my car because there's two car seats. But I still look. It's it's a weird thing with me. Anyway, um, so you know, what was I saying? Yeah. So you're Gil. Yeah, so you're put into subjective so it's, it's 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 ways of you you know how with video games there's there's always as I've said there's an interaction and a and a way of immersing you in in a moment right which is why I love games that are you know storytelling games like you know The Last of Us or or, or any of the games that have come out recently that have a very strong focus on storytelling those moments that are directed while some players have a problem with being handheld. If it puts me in that character's moment, right. that that I, I feel like that's where I've been taken for a ride. So those moments are very, very special. So right. I agree with you there that the, the indie decision to do that may not be the obvious decision, but it does something very, very effective. So that's what that's what it is. It's uh it's it's what's interesting about that is something that I've never really considered before, is the idea of having a POV being put in a character's shoes. That doesn't necessarily mean seeing it having from the character's perspective exactly like having the camera be the uh, the the eyes of the character. Um, so, but then uh, in the same way, it brings me to the opening shot of the movie, which is also very unconventional. Yeah. Is that instead of the movie beginning with, for example, an action scene or Batman taking somebody down or the villain yeah. doing something? I mean, it is the villain doing something uh, villainous. Um, but you are put into the perspective of the Riddler mm-hmm. spying and stalking his prey. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you with, can hear his, like, you know, his, his, his breathing <sighs> and you've got Ave creepy. Maria in the background. Yeah. It's a, it's a very unconventional, very unsettling opening. Yeah. And I remember when the, uh, you know, the, um, the mayor is, uh, is watching TV and you see and, the, and the you light see, up. You see the Riddler in the background 
Yeah. And uh, and he comes in and he starts beating the shit out of him and, and whatever. And that was the moment when you shifted in your chair mm-hmm. and you um, you sort of like clapped your hands together, started rubbing them and you're like, right. Yeah. I'm in. Let's do this. I there was th- So I read a review that said it's... Um, it's uh, it's kind of scary, and I'm going. Absolutely. I'm going like, okay, and that moment where the Riddler is standing behind him, you don't know he's there, and then suddenly the TV sort of like uh, flashes white. You know how like it'll light up the background for a second, yeah, and you see him standing there, and I, I was I was in it. I was in that moment, and I feel like immersion is a very difficult thing to do in a movie. Uh, I feel it's a lot easier in a video game because you are physically connected to what's going on and you're making it happen. But in a movie, to immerse me like that is, is uh, it's very hard for me. So, so I was really, really in it. And from that moment onwards, even though I had down that entire thing of Sprite before the movie started, <laughs> and about halfway through, I was shifting in my se- seat for different reasons. Right. Um, I was in it to the end. Like, I was not pulled out of this movie or this atmosphere for a second. I think that that is 100% direction and and uh, and directorial decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And the writing. Yeah. So, in, in terms of what you were saying about immersion, I also felt that um, every time Batman begins, in, in fact, any of the Dark Knight trilogy, yeah. anytime one of those movies um, starts, yeah. uh, you know, you, you got me. I'm, I'm completely in it. Um, and, uh, and I, and I felt the same in, in, uh, with this movie as well. Um, and I, and I think that, um, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the, I agree with you that, you know, they say, oh, it's scary, but Matt Reeves really brought in horror, horror elements into yeah. this movie and not just in terms of the Riddler, but also in terms of Batman himself, Batman yeah. himself is a horrific figure. Um, and and you see that when he's about to beat up on on all those uh, face painted thugs, yeah. um, and you hear the footsteps echoing. Yeah, and and that is it's also what uh, what Nolan was trying to do with uh, with Batman Begins, which was that whole scene in the docks when uh, when yeah. Batman's like snatching up thugs and and it's et cetera, about et fear. It's about fear, and uh, and Pattinson's Batman really ramps up the fear they, in this they, movie. They also they really nailed. The thing with the at the beginning of the movie, right? The bat signal. Yeah. There's this great sequence at the very beginning where, like, after the Riddler's done his whole thing, the bat signal is up in the sky, and there are three crimes happening at the same time. And Batman says, "I can't be everywhere," right? And but he says that the signal is not just to let him know that he's needed, but it's to let the villains know, that to let the thugs there. know that yeah. he's out there. And, and there is a moment the where every... Exactly, yeah. that one one of them is spray-painting the the municipality building, right? Or something. And, um, and he stops for a second and looks into a dark doorway because his imagination is filling in those blanks of what right. if Batman's in there, right? And there's another crime going on. I don't remember what it was, but also he lo- they look off into the dark. And then in the subway with those thugs, they're looking off into the dark and they hear the footsteps. Right. One of the thugs looks up at the sky and sees the signal. And that's what... in. And I'm sorry that I keep coming back to the games. I'm going to talk about it in the next episode and I won't do it too much here. But fear is very much a tool yeah. of some of the games because they get that that is what Batman is... It's not just his willpower, it's understanding of how a criminal thinks and, you know, his understanding of the criminal element and how fear yeah. is 
you know, he, he talks about it at the beginning of, of uh, Batman Begins, where he says, I understood the fear before going into a, a crime and the thrill of pulling it off. And so he operates inside that area of fear. Right. And, and so that moment where he comes out, it's not just a, oh, Batman's walked out of the shadows. It's a perfect example of him using shadows and fear as a, as, as a tool right. to throw them off balance. I love that moment. But he, that, that is what also um, is, is, a, is a big, big difference here, is that Nolan's trilogy touches on that. Yeah. Um, especially at the end of The Dark Knight when he says, I'm, you know, I'm going to be the, uh, I'm, I'm going to take the fall for this. I'm going to be the criminal. Yeah. But he's always that virtuous, heroic. Yeah. Um, thimble. Um, <laughs> um, you but, get me. You do. Yeah. But Pattinson's Batman is borderline. Yeah, that guy's fucking nuts. You get the you get the sense that he's so uh, psychologically scarred by his parents' death mm. that he has an inability to connect with people. Mm. He's very very socially awkward. Yeah. Um, and he's very introverted. Yeah. Very, very introverted. Much more than uh, than any of the other Batman, even yeah. Michael Keaton, yeah. uh, who plays it very weird. But also the revelation for the first time in cinematic Batman that Martha was in Arkham. Yeah, that she yeah. had that she had various psychological issues. She was an Arkham. She was an Arkham, and, and she, she was, was in also Arkham. in Arkham. Yeah, and you uh, and you have that 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 very. Um, that very rich shading of the backstory there that yeah. you've never seen before. And who knows? It could be genetic. So even yeah. without... Yeah, he's got a history of mental illness right, as well. Exactly. So even without his parents' death, would he be what people would consider quote-unquote normal? I'm not sure. But the, the but the fact that his parents were murdered in front of him in a dark alleyway when he was eight years old, um, you know, sort of broke him and, yeah. uh, and pushed him to the other side. And the fact is that when... When um, Pattinson as Batman and Paul Dano as the Riddler are having that conversation in Arkham and the Riddler sort of assumes that Batman has been working with him the entire time, it's not so far out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Because Pattinson's Batman is fucked up, man. He's he's a hair away from from exactly. Yeah. And that is the first time that I've seen that represented in in a live action Batman movie that they really had the balls to take him as far to the edge as possible. Yeah. Um, And... uh, But that being said, it's never in question that his intentions are, you know, to to save the city and like he, his intentions are not um, absolutely you know, in any way in question which is why his uh which is why his relationship with gordon in yeah. this movie is so interesting first yeah. of all i just want to give some props to jeffrey Wright here because he took a character also in james bond um as felix Leiter, a character that's very inconsequential and yeah. shows up to help bond now and again and he made him uh, a flesh and blood character yeah um, and extremely likable as well. And one of the best scenes in uh, in No Time to Die is the two of them playing uh, um, playing that game in the uh, in the bar. Yeah. Um, and you see them for the first time interacting as mates. Yeah. Um, and and here that's a, that's another thing that you that you don't really see even between Christian Bale and Gary Oldman. You don't get that sense of camaraderie. You always feel that Batman's in control, and uh, Commissioner Gordon always like turns around and goes. 
oh, where did he go? I hate it when he does that. Yeah. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's always that, like, Gordon is somewhat the butt of the joke. Um, and I love Gary Oldman, and I love his Gordon, and I think he's fantastic. Um, but there's always that that tipping of power to uh, towards Batman, um, in the, in, and you see it very much come to the come to the forefront in the Tumblr scene when um, you know when Gordon takes control of the Tumblr, and he's very much yes! the comic he's very much the comic relief in that in that sequence. Um, whereas here, you've got it's it's almost like a buddy movie. Right, the two of them, the way that they uh, that they stage that fake fight in mm-hmm. the uh, in uh, in Gotham PD, and he, and then afterwards he said to me, "I thought you were going to pull your punch," and He's Batman like, says, "I did, I did." <laughs> um, and and there's like these moments of levity that uh, in a very very dark, very like the entire movie is shot through sheets of rain. Yeah, I read like a review where someone was complaining that Robert Pattinson's Batman is not funny at all, and he doesn't smile once in the movie. And I'm like, first of all, he smiles twice in the movie. And the other thing is that um, he he's not meant to, and and I I think you've come to the wrong movie, you know. It's like it's no, very. But that's what that's what I'm saying. I think that that Gordon, being his his constant scene partner, he's with him a lot through yeah, the movie, yeah. and they're working together, and he's very much at thumb drive. Thumb drive. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And that is so very much part there's, of the comics. There's a there's a thing that I see a lot in. Um, uh it's also it's spoofed in the uh you know obviously in in the uh the series from the 60s yeah um but you know the the whole thing that batman is the only one who can solve these riddles right right um and and you know there's like the whole thing where it's uh you know a ballpoint banana in the 60s it's just nuts um you know precisely robin um and uh and and so there's like you know this thing where he goes you know Thumb drive. He's he understands. He's like he re- as I said before. He really understands the criminal element and how they think. And he's also extremely intelligent. Yeah. Um. And so those two things put together, you know, he's he's very very um he's very much the Batman from the comics, and it makes a lot of sense. I want to talk a little bit about Paul Dano as the Riddler. Okay. Um. Obviously, the uh, the inspiration for this uh, for this character was the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is based even, even all the way down to his like goodbye, right? the The mere fact that he's based on a on a real serial killer is is what makes him so chilling. When you look at those uh, those Joker sequences in uh, in the Dark Knight, when um, Heath Ledger filmed himself, yeah, um, sort of uh, taking down a victim or whatever, and those are some really really chilling sequences. Yeah. Those uh, sort of like um, camcorder sequences. Um, Paul Dano's Riddler takes that and turns it up to 11. Uh, it is so chilling and frightening and it is, it's very much, uh, it, it feels like a horror movie in a lot of those sequences. And the interrogation scene, uh, between, uh, between Batman and the Riddler and, um, in Arkham, uh, is everything that Blofeld should have been. Yeah, yeah. Now, the reason why I keep going back to Bond is because Bond villains are an institution and each Bond movie is an event. Yes. And what you expect from a Bond villain is that they be frightening and that they be a formidable foe for 007 to take down. That's what you expect. But That's what I want. It's what you want. But right. a lot of people want this silly, you know, version of James Bond that has been, you know. If you want no, Mr. To... Bond, I expect you to die. That's what people want. 
That's also, what the mainstream ones. Right. Also, the um, the villains in the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, aside from Philip Seymour Hoffman, have been a little bit on the... Uh, camp side? Not on the camp side, just a, just a little bit weak. Yeah. Um, and I want every writer, director, actor in Hollywood to feast their eyes on Paul Dano's performance, the way that his character is written, and the way that those scenes are directed. That is how you do a villain who is a formidable foe for somebody like Batman. And unhinged. There's Completely there's, unhinged. There's something about his performance that I... That I, maybe this is just my interpretation of it, but there's that moment where he's explained to Batman that he's set something up and there's nothing he can do about it. And then he starts singing Ave Maria, right, mm-hmm. um, in, in the cell. And we start to hear Ave Maria playing as well while he's singing it. And we've heard Ave Maria several times during his crimes. Um, And it makes me wonder if he's hearing Ave Maria, like if if his part of his psychosis is the operatic theatrical, um, you know, music playing in his head. Like I often think about, you know, how... Uh, you know, what is what is it that's driving this person crazy? What is it? What is part of their psychosis? And yeah, he's doing that kind of Jesse Eisenberg sort of thing, you know, when he talks, um, you know, you know, humming to himself in between yeah. in between words. Um, but but you know, I I wonder if that that Ave Maria sort of is 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 in his head. And when we hear it, we're hearing his psychosis. Like it's a, it's a nice thought that, yeah. that, that maybe that's what, and that's what it said to me. I don't know what it said to you, but I, I felt there was a significance to it. Right. Um, you know, you and I also had a disagreement about um, the significance of him saying Bruce Wayne, like over and over right. again to Batman, because you were saying, you know, um, uh, you you don't it's, it's not sure clear he whether knew, he knows um but when you mentioned it it's very possible that he was tormenting him and he was saying you know that uh that it, it's not um it's not relevant that, yeah. that he knows that he's bruce wayne it i was i was matter. talking about i was talking about one of the graphic novels that i have called uh, death in the family where right. joker kidnaps all of batman's um you know sort of uh kids <laughs> as it were um and he um you know that there's this moment where it's sort of revealed that the that the joker had gotten into the bat cave and all of them are like really angry with batman that he didn't tell them this and he says he he doesn't know your identities and then later on in the in the graphic novel he says to alfred i went to go and visit him as bruce wayne in arkham and i dropped all pretenses and i said i found this and he shows him the joker card that he left in the bat cave um and you know, he sort of asks, he, I think, I don't remember the exact words, but there's sort of like, he's he's saying, you know, I, I think you know who I am. And Joker is being all comatose and not saying anything and completely ignoring him. And he says to Alfred, he doesn't care. He doesn't care who Batman is. He doesn't care all, who all of you guys are. He, he only cares about Batman because he's obsessed with Batman and without right. Batman, there's no game, right? Um, and, and I think that that was also the Paul Dano thing is that he's, you know, the Riddler is like, he's saying, I, I'm smart enough that I figured out who you are. I know it's you, but it doesn't matter because who you are doesn't matter. You, Batman, are the one I care about right now. Right. 
and and I that's what depends. I understood from the scene, but I really want to see it again just to see if I'm wrong. Yeah, but it, I think it works on a couple of levels, but it also depends how um, how Batman reacts to it. How how does Batman yeah. take it? Because I think that there's a uh, that there's a slight note of uh, of confusion or relief. Yeah. Um, you know, when he says Bruce Wayne, he hasn't blah blah blah, uh, meaning uh, oh, I thought you thought I I thought you knew. You know, and then and then but, he kind of doesn't about but, turn. But yeah. when when he's saying Bruce Wayne, he there's that acknowledgement that that Bruce Wayne and Batman are two completely different people, right? And that you know, there, there's always that discussion about Bruce Wayne being being the mask, right? right. That Batman is the is the identity, is the real. I think on in a, on a, in a way, the the Riddler is speaking to him on uh, on his level, yeah, um, and sort of acknowledging the idea of a split personality because Batman is here, Bruce Wayne isn't, right? Um, and it's uh, it, it's just very interesting. I didn't realize exactly how much we'd have to talk about with this movie. It's like so... There's depth. There's so much of it. So in this category, there are a few more people I want to talk about here. There's uh, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Yeah. Selena Kyle. Um, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle Catwoman. And I want to talk about um, John Turturro as Falcone mm-hmm. or Falcone. So first off, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. If you hadn't told me that it was Colin Farrell, exactly I would not I have known. Yeah. Okay. It, it's somewhat, it's somewhat of a backhanded compliment when you say this actor is unrecognizable in this role because nine times out of ten, when people say that, they're complimenting the makeup artist. Yeah. Okay. They're complimenting the prosthetics, um, which are very, very, very good. They are very, very good, and they're seamless. But it's okay. also in you his performance, tell. like his Colin his, Farrell's his performance. Walk. Yeah, everything. He is completely transformed, and he said that the the, the uh, that the makeup and the costume really helped him to do that. Um, but he himself, it's a testament to how good he is as an actor that he completely and utterly disappears into that role. There's a thing about um, Oswald Cobblepot that in his portrayals in different uh, mediums in the animated series he's a socialite you know he's like oh yes my my befeathered friend you know he'll use like very yes, high he language. sounds like ronnie corbett right and he uh, and he behaves like an aristocrat exactly and that's to sort of offset the oddness of his his appearance uh danny devito and tim burton's adaptation of the penguin is very disgusting it's very sort of he's, you know bits coming out of his mouth yeah. he's very he's been living under the sewers like he is sewage like it's, right it's, but i know, think I think in terms of what you were just saying about the animated series about that that sort of um, sort of offsetting his weirdness I think that that's um, that's a, a sort of turned up version of what Danny DeVito did because there are there is a section of the movie when he's running for mayor where he is that he is yeah. a, he's a socialite he's, he behaves like an aristocrat he behaves like sort of the the uh, the the Prince of Gotham, etc., yeah. etc. But he's um, still, but he's underneath still speaking that, in that, in that, right? You know. Underneath that, he is, he is, uh, mm-hmm. he's animal. Yeah, and 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 so in the comics, there's there's also you know the adaptation of him being a uh, you know this this mob boss and and which is, which is very very close to to what we get in 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 the Batman. Um, and and so there's a wonderful balance that's struck between him being a mob boss him being this sort of malformed, weird-looking... He has bird-like... You know, his nose is, is, is very pointed, very yeah. beaky. His his gait, his walk is very waddly and penguin-like. He's indulgent. He's, you know, he, he's obviously... Uh, you know, he calls everybody sweetheart, you know, because he's, you know... He, he's, he thinks he's, he's on top of everything. 
And though that, again, I keep on saying the word balance. There is a wonderful understanding of all of the elements that make these characters these characters, and then those things that make it different for this version. And it's done with the Riddler, it's done with Batman, it's done with Selina Kyle, and it's definitely done with this. And Colin Farrell's performance is extremely knowledgeable. I feel like he he understood right. what it was that makes Oswald Cobblepot um, unpalatable to look or Oz. at. Or Oz, as they call yeah. him in this one. He's, he's hard to look at. He's hard to listen to, but for some reason, you're still you doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um. It's another example of how uh, of of how they managed to bring in a character that's already been realized on the screen and approach yeah. it from a fresh perspective. Exactly. I'm really looking forward to seeing more Colin Farrell. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's going to be a TV series um, on uh, HBO Max that they're going to do as a, a, a sort of a Penguin TV series. There's supposed to be an Arkham TV series yeah. as well. That's going to be more horror-like, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I love the, the fact that, uh, that this movie is um, a new uh, sort of cinematic universe, as it were. Yeah. Um, but that it, it's also um, spawning more yeah. uh, from, the same, uh, from the same universe. Selena Kyle, yeah, Zoe Kravitz. Also, it's a character that's been realized on the screen twice before. Yeah, you've got uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. You've got Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, and in this movie, Johnny's favorite thing is the way that she gets on the bike. Yeah, all right. I find Anne Hathaway extremely sexy. What do you want from me? I'm a man. Damn it! You have blood running through your veins and other things. Um, <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Continue. Yeah. No Zoe... objectification on this podcast, yes. please. Yes. Zoe Kravitz um, manages to bring in a lot of elements from the comics, especially in their relationship, in her relationship with Batman, that we haven't necessarily seen before. Yeah. In Batman Returns, um, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is very much on a the villain. side of the baddies. Yeah. And she somewhat crosses over here or there. There's definitely, because of her relationship as Selina Kyle with Bruce Wayne, um, there's definitely some faltering there. And at the end of the day, she uh, she murders Max Shrek in order to uh, cross over to the, to the side of the good guys. Um, in this movie, Zoe Kravitz's uh, Catwoman is very much out for herself and her, and her lover. I'm she's got say. her own. Yeah, yeah. She's, it's um, her lover. It's, yeah. She's bisexual. I mean, yeah. it's... Okay, I wanted to talk about that for a second, just just as a segue. If I've said it, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very much implied that Catwoman Selina Kyle is bisexual in this movie. Mm. Uh, and I read quite a, few, um, quite a few reviews where people were disappointed that that wasn't explored more. Now, I, I have talked, I talked last week about, uh, about the sitcom Chits Creek. Yeah, and you haven't seen that yet, but I, I just want to say, uh, just want to say something about um, uh, Eugene Levy's son Dan Levy um, writes and stars in the uh, in the show with Eugene Levy playing his dad. Dan Levy is uh, is gay in real life, and in the show he's uh, he's portrayed as bisexual. He has a relationship with uh, with a female uh, co star, and he has uh, and his his main love interest is a is a man, right? Okay. And what is wonderful about the writing in Shit's Creek? is that they they don't sort of present it to you as, hey, look, we're showing diversity. It's a gay relationship. Look, everybody, it's a man and a man yeah. being together. It's portrayed as any other relationship that, has, that, that would be portrayed on the screen. 
I'm I'm really curious about how these people would like it to be portrayed or, or explore, explored more. Right. Because her entire motivation for the whole movie is to look for and then later on avenge right. her lover. And and that's her entire... And then she's sort of conflicted because she is She is uh, falling attracted. in love with Batman. I, I don't want to say falling in love with, but I want to say attracted to. There's yes. an attraction to his his, there is, his willpower. The chemistry his, between them is very sizzling. Yeah. yeah. And, and and so there's there's this, uh, you know, this... I, th- I felt like it was definitely uh, explored enough. I feel like it was... It doesn't yeah, but have it's to be not, the central theme of the movie. Right. The, they don't put... Um, too fine a point on it that it is a sexual or a romantic relationship. She calls her baby. You yeah. know, she's uh, she's basically risking her life she's for her. She's distraught when she's, she's distraught. Yeah. Um, it's enough. I think that um, that if you're going to turn around and say, "Hey, look, everybody, this character's bisexual. Look at us representing," you're doing a disservice to uh, to that character, to that storyline, and to the community that they're representing. I think that um, that the way that it's presented is just pitch perfect. Yes, and um, also also her her relationship quote unquote with with Batman. Yeah, is very much how it is in in a lot of media and comics. Like you know that the, yeah, they're just kind of, of like meeting. Yeah, like there's, in, ships there's, in the night kind of. Yeah, thing. and it's it's very um you know I I often find that the whole Vicky Vale thing is 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 problematic for me and, and it bugs me a little bit because Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne can have his you know his uh, his flings and his relationships, but he doesn't have time, or he can't allow himself to be distracted by you know real long term relationships. Um, and so, where Selena Kyle and Catwoman sort of come in is this very interesting. Uh, uh, I want to say, as you said, that this meeting point of this woman is dangerous. She's not criminal in the way that the other criminals are criminal. She right. doesn't have that same level of. She's not psychotic. They don't. And they don't give her the, uh, times, the cat burglar attribute in this movie. Yes, because they, they do. In in in, she does like break into a safe and she yes, is stealing stuff. What I'm what I'm talking about is the uh, is the sort of robbing the museum of the uh, right. crown jewels exactly, or all that yeah. kind of. She's stuff. not there yet. She's not there yet, and I like that. It's it's you're you're showing a development of that character. Yeah. Which is great. The great thing about this being set in year two is that these characters have room to grow into what they're yeah. going to be. I felt like her portrayal by Zoe Kravitz was, um, you know, Pitch just, just every every syllable pronounced. It, you know, that there's pain, there's there's sultriness, there's mystery, there's all those things that you want, and she Humor. feels she feels like a she feels like a like a woman who's struggling with her past right and also very strong and in control and there there's that balance again balance there's so much wonderful balance that's happening in this movie um that i felt was uh was was really missing from selena kyle's um portrayal by anne hathaway as much as we like her stepping over onto the bike uh you know she's uh, you know and, and and again like a great portrayal but it 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 was um she had more of that cat burglar you know yeah. acrobatic thing going on uh in in the dark knight rises but i didn't i didn't feel like she was a particularly good catwoman i i i thought she was a good selena kyle i thought she was a i i didn't i didn't think that she was a bad catwoman necessarily but i did think that 
as much as I, I like that final shot in The Dark Knight Rises, I do. Because I think that um, closing off the trilogy, Batman should have his, his, happy, his ending. happy ending at least once. Um, once in I, cinema, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did feel that, um, that there was a lack of development of their relationship. That there was no precedent for them to be together at the end of the movie. Mm. Um, whereas Pattinson and Kravitz, first of all, um, Batman teams up with... Uh, with Gordon, and he teams up with uh, with Selina Kyle um, at various points in the movie out of necessity. Yeah, and uh, and I love each of those scenes where he's 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 it's a buddy movie with Gordon, and then it's a buddy movie with Catwoman, and he's communicating with her through her eyepiece, yeah. um, through the uh, the contact lens, and um, and and those scenes that you know that there's this there's this wonderful scene where. Um, you know, she, after she, she's taken out her contact lens, she said, you know, fuck you. I'm not, uh, you know, like you can go to hell kind of thing. And then later on she contacts him using the contact lens. And it's kind of like the, those, those, um, those scenes where you have a young couple in love kind of texting each other in the middle of the night. And I, um, and you know, obviously it's much more complicated than a young couple in love because, uh, their relationship is so multi-layered, but, um, I, I love that. I thought it was very sweet. Yeah. And then when he gets knocked down at the end of the movie in uh, in in Gotham Stadium, what's it called? Uh, Gotham Square Garden. Yeah. Um, which is which is he gets, not he gets which is uh, not a reference to anything shot, in reality at all. He gets shot by a by a sh- like point blank by a shotgun right. blast or a rifle blast. And the way that she that she brings him back. Yeah. Is just beautiful, yeah. And it's like he he injects himself with something that that could be venom, venom, yeah, uh, or or this universe's version of that, which is uh, which uh, someone else said it was maybe the drug that that's been on the street, the droplets or drops, drops. whatever it's called, and and the fact that he's uh, you know he sees that she's in in trouble uh, and he sort of you know injects himself with this thing and then beats the shit out of this guy, is, right? Uh, is and and yeah, I just really I really. Uh, there's a sweetness within that that like the being able to balance somebody who is completely socially shut down mm-hmm. and doesn't know how to have relationships etc cetera, etc cetera, that even in the guise of batman where he is totally unhinged he is able to form these relationships with gordon and selena mm-hmm. kyle um and i i just and 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 it was they were able to make it heartfelt yeah, um, which is also a, a, a testament to uh, Michael Giacchino's uh, score. But you've got that theme of like, <clears throat> which yeah. repeats and repeats and repeats. And they managed to turn that into a hero theme, right? Or not in several places. But also like bringing in um, these uh, these wonderful kind of melodic um, themes that uh, that sort of underscore these re- this that relationship. Um, and I just I, I found it to be. Uh, to be quite emotional, which uh, which is not necessarily something you'd expect from something as uh, as bleak and as dark as this movie yeah. um, kind of uh, presents itself to be. Yeah. John Turturro as Falcone. Or Falcone. Or Falcone. What did you think of him? Do you know what? I really haven't given him much thought. Um, I felt... I feel now that you're asking me, I feel like uh, his performance was was really good. Um, I thought he I, was very slimy in a, in a really good way that he was able to... To kind of to say to lie to Bruce's face, yeah, and you believe him, and you believe him, you believe him. And here's the thing: is that in my brain, I'm going. Thomas Wayne is would never, not a, yeah. but but 
there there has been a video game adaptation, a Telltale adaptation, which is kind of like a sort of point and click Batman game, a modern point and click, um, where you know it's it's revealed that the Waynes were actually corrupt uh, Gotham uh, socialites, and everything that you thought you knew. A lot of things in the Telltale Batman uh, is is very are very different. So. You know, there was a moment where they were, and I was like, "Oh my god, are they doing this?" Right? Where, where if the, and 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 the thing is, is that I would be okay with it if they if they did that, um, because it would add so much more to his trauma. Um, but uh, but I I really I really like that that he he's he's lying to him. He's saying to him, you know, uh, that the you know he asked me to do this thing, and then Alfred says to him your father never asked him to kill someone. He went to him and he made a mistake, but he never asked him to do that. And he was distraught by that. And then there's this this thing where Bruce is like, okay, so my father was this intact, you know, sort of soul in the right. end. Um, Falcone is, Falcone is, is um, in, in, in my vision of him, uh, from comic books, um, very uh, very different to how um, he was portrayed in this movie. Um, he's he's very much more like the Godfather in in sort of the Long Halloween, right? Um, and I felt here that he was just a very like you said, slimy and and untouchable entity who's always in his club and he never leaves, and you know, uh, it it. it it's a very different portrayal, um, and and I actually uh, not that's not a bad thing, and I, I I really liked it, but I I it was one of the things in the movie that I felt was a little weaker. Um, okay. uh, was was his, uh, his his involvement in things for him being the the hinge the the crux of of that that mystery of who is the the informant. Um, it. I felt like there should have been a bit more meat on that bone, but that's just my opinion. Okay. But but how much are you going to to put into a three hour movie? Right. It no, well, I, my hours. my personal feeling was that I I thought that he he approached it from a slightly different direction, and uh, you know you have those um, those characters in uh, in Scorsese movies that uh, that are really charming, yeah. But you you feel like they could you know run a knife in you any second, yeah. Um, and I, and I felt that he was that I felt that he was dripping with menace. Um, but at the same time, he was incredibly charming and, uh, and appealing. Um, and I, uh, I liked him. I liked him a little bit more than Tom Wilkinson. I thought that Tom Wilkinson is yeah, I don't a little like bit his, more one note. I don't like his Falcone at all. Yeah. So the difference we'll call that one Falcone and this one Falcone. And then we know who we're talking about. Right. Um, Okay. There was uh, there was one more character that I wanted to uh, talk about, and that is the Joker, who makes an appearance mm-hmm. right at the end of the movie. Um, a lot of people have criticized this scene. Uh, I personally think that it's okay. Um, I think that I, I understand Matt Reeves' decision to leave it in because it uh, it sort of interacted with another scene in the movie that followed it or preceded it. I can't remember which. The scene in question preceded it. And it right. was a meeting where Batman went to go and talk to a killer who he's put away previously and wanted to sort of Hannibal Lecter, like get into the ah, mind no. of a killer. No, I'm talking about the, uh, about the scene, the finished scene that is in the movie yeah. that, uh, that had some sort of contrast to another scene 
uh, that's sort of close to it somewhere. Uh, and I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it uh, but it kind of informed um, the idea of uh, I think I think. Batman. Oh, you're saying that when Selena Kyle leaves, that, that Matt Reeves was yeah, talking that it's about never going to change and it's never going to be gonna over. Get worse and right, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant the scene that was cut. And then, and then, no, the scene that was cut is gonna is gonna appear on the Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, apparently, and I'd be very, very interested to see it. Um, my personal feeling about uh, about any about any of that is that I think the Joker has been done to death, yeah. and that maybe they should retire him for a couple of movies. Yeah. Um, that I would be quite happy if uh, if he didn't make an appearance in at least the next movie. There's there's so much so much meat in the Rogues Gallery, right? Yeah. That Batman's villains. Even taking a character like the Riddler, who is generally thought of as one of the weaker sort of, like he's very he's very prominent in a lot of, you know. But you know, you could do so many things with all these characters. You know, forget Two Face, right? And forget, um, you know, you could do the Ventriloquist, who is a mob boss, who has, right? You know, there are so many things that you could do with that. There's so much meat on the bone there. Um, you know, they could, they could be dealing with Mr. Zaz, um, you know, the, the guy who murders women and, or, or no, not, he, he just murders people. And every time he murders someone, he cuts his skin as a, as a, you know, he, he has like these, uh, five bar gates, like tallying right. the, the score of how many, you know, people he's killed. And, you know, there's, there's so many things that you could do with these uh, you know, like just having a serial killer on the loose, and the the Joker, while being the most compelling of the villains, um, it, it it's just there's too many, and I've got Joker fatigue. Yeah. And as much as I'm always like, "Ooh, how are they? What are they going to do?" The Joker after um, Snyder's Joker, which was extremely disappointing, and. You know, even seeing him in the Snyder Cut didn't do it for me. I, I, I want, I want a break. I, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker was was incredible and a wonderful adaptation and portrayal of this character. And you know, the whole licking his scars thing is great. And I really didn't need this scene. It's in there. It's fine. I would like it if they didn't bring him into the next one. I would right. like it if the next movie they could leave it was, as an Easter egg. Yeah, or or, or 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 he could be in the third one, you know. But I right. I would re- he's not the Joker yet. Apparently he's uh he's the guy who will become the Joker. And I really like Matt Reeves um uh you know description of how he's got that thing from the Man Who Laughs where he just can't stop smiling. His face is constantly yeah. Yeah, yeah, frozen yeah, in a smile. That. Um. I think that that's really interesting, but just just in petit pois, a little a little bit. I think I just said peas, but you know, j- just a little a little space, yeah, a little bit because because it's so so much, and I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go insane and take you with me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Shosh asked a question hmm. that uh, you asked me, and then said, "Don't answer now. No, yeah, yeah. wait, wait until the podcast. It is now that time." Hmm. Is the Batman better than the Dark Knight? Why did she choose specifically the Dark Knight? Was she talking about the the movie The Dark Knight or the trilogy? She's talking about the movie The Dark Knight, and okay. I believe that she's she. First of all, I think that her opinion is actually that it's the best one of that trilogy. Um, but 
it's widely thought of as, right. as the okay. best. Okay. You know. So the answer to that question, in my opinion, is that it's not that simple. Which was also my answer to her. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, it's an entirely different take. And the, uh, the fact is that you've got... Uh, these okay. If you want to pit pit these two movies together, or you want to pit the Batman against uh, the trilogy, the trilogy is of such high quality that I wouldn't put one above the other. I would say this is this Batman, and this is this Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly compare like elements yeah. within. Uh, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't say that the Batman overtakes the Dark Knight trilogy or the Dark Knight, and I wouldn't say that the Dark Knight overtakes the Batman. They are they are two completely uh, different takes, while at the same time retaining certain elements that are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but because they are of such high quality, I can't I can't sort of say that one's better than the other. Yeah. I think you're going to get a lot of people um, having this argument. And I think that, you know, there are going to be some people who are going, no, Heath Ledger's Joker forever. And, you know, you're going to have... Uh, you I, know, I think that and, these, and, the, the, they can exist together. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. Also, the, uh, the, the thing is, uh, as I said earlier, Nolan's trilogy in a lot of ways brought Batman down to earth and blazed a trail. And you wouldn't have this movie without Nolan's trilogy. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it very much sort of informed a lot of... A lot of the uh, the fundamentals of Gotham and a lot of the uh, the the groundedness of the Batman. So um, I have problems with the Dark Knight. Um, I I think that as a as a Batman story, it's very good. Um, and I think that uh, you know, obviously Heath Ledger's Joker is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the be-all, end-all version of the Joker. I think that there have been amazing adaptations of the Joker, and I think there have been there have been bad adaptations of the Joker. I actually feel that the Joker from uh, um, uh, DiMaggio, what's his name, uh, the, the John DiMaggio who who played the Joker in uh, Under the Red Hood, uh, his Joker is spine-tinglingly horrible. Um, you know, there's just the way that, um, at the beginning after he's finished, like, beating Robin with a crowbar and he puts the hood over his head and he goes, tell the big man I said, hello, right? There's, there's something in the delivery that's extremely, right? Um, and, you know, there's, there's that thing where, you know, uh, Jason Todd confronts Batman and he says, why on earth is this death-worshipping piece of garbage still alive? Right. Right? And the Joker realizes that there's this reunion happening and he's just giggling and he goes, let's get a picture. First you and the kid, then me and the kid, then one with the crowbar. Right? And that, that, um... That, that portrayal is extreme. So what I'm trying to say is that if you wanted to compare the movies based off of villain portrayals, um, you can't do it. It's too different, you know, whatever. My problem with The Dark Knight is the absolute ruining of the wonderful work that was done in Batman Begins on the portrayal of Gotham City. Gotham City and Batman Begins is extremely dark and yellow and dirty and there's the narrows and there's like um 
you know, smoke everywhere, and and it's it's you know th- th- this this griminess and and gothic nature, which I feel is very very necessary. And then in the Dark Knight, you've got this you know sort of New York looking skyscrapers, tall city, and 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 I think that you know you can have. Uh, that that part of Gotham with those, but but they he didn't show that you know for it, from that opening sequence with the bank robbery, it just looks like a completely different setting, and so um, you know I I do I do feel that with um, you know the Dark Knight there are a, there are a lot of problems with it, but if you in answer to Shosh's question where she said to me you know which one did you like more. Um, I agree with you. I think that they are two completely different worlds, worlds, and I'm I'm happy with them existing side by side as two completely different adaptations of the same character. Definitely, both of them are better than anything that's come before. I I love Tim Burton, uh, and I love his Batman, but for me, you know, these two adaptations, and I think I think in some ways, uh, this one that we've just seen is slightly above Nolan's Batman for me, just okay. personally because of. Because of the, the way that Gotham is presented, I feel that Gotham is a character in itself. I, ha- I hate it when people say that. The city, the, the Titanic itself, is a character in the movie. Um, you know, that sort of rubbish makes me want to, you know, eat my own bottom and then shit myself out. But, like, I, I feel like... Wow, that is very specific and very graphic. And also doesn't really work if you think <laughs> about what I just said. Um <laughs> Really, in order for that to happen, my bottom has to eat me and then shit me out. But whatever, that's not the point. Um, the, the, the thing that I was... Sorry, mother. Uh, but but my, my whole thing is that Gotham is a character, and, and in this movie, it is. It, it really is. Um, so uh, I, 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 I kind of feel like it's an unfair question to ask. Please don't ask it of me. I don't want to answer it. <laughs> Um, but if you really had to make me choose open mouth scream Meryl Streep, I'd have to choose um, the Batman simply because of how consistent its tone is. But when the sequel comes out, that is what's going to we solidify need to re- re- revisit this uh, and all of the series as <clears throat> sorry and all of the series as well that are going to come out if they can match that grimy, dirty, consistent tone of buildings that are clean, like the Gotham Square Gardens and, you know, the the municipality building, but then the dirty side of it where everything's really grimy, like the subway and the under the, you know, the, the, the sort of club where all the mafia bosses hang out, where it's very sort of Gotham and seedy. And, and in one of the comics, uh, in many of the comics, in one of them, Batman is saying the city is, is it's got rot. And that rot is everywhere and it's growing. And he's not just talking about criminals. He's talking about how, you know, the city itself reflects the state that it's in. And Batman Begins has that. The Batman has that. But The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises does not have that. Okay. And and that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Sorry about the butt shitting thing. That was, <laughs> that was unpleasant for all of us, I'm sure. Okay. We're going to we're going to end this episode very soon. Uh but before we do, I want to take a little trip to Trivia Corner. All right. Um there's not a lot here cuz it's a new movie, but uh Do the jingle. There's a there's a couple of things here. Trivia, Trivia Corner. So, uh Robert Pattinson's screen test before he was officially cast took place while he was in rehearsals for shooting Tenet in Los Angeles in May 2019. Mhm. Pattinson had to lie to Christopher Nolan about it, but Nolan, who was no stranger to Batman and Warner Brothers, immediately figured it out. 
Not surprising. Pattinson says, It's funny because Chris Nolan is so secretive about everything to do with his movies. Then I had to be really secretive about Batman stuff, so I had to lie to Chris about having to go for a screen test. I said I had a family emergency, but as soon as I said it's a family emergency, he said... You're doing the Batman audition, aren't you? <laughs> when Patterson was told that he won the role of Batman a day before principal photography for Tenet began, he was surprised that Nolan also knew and congratulated him, although Patterson hadn't told anybody about it yet. Right. Robert Patterson's Bruce Wayne is inspired by Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. Writer-director Matt Reeves was listening to Nirvana when he wrote the first act. He says, that's when it came to me. Rather than make Bruce Wayne the Playboy version we've seen before, there's another version who had gone through a great tragedy and become a recluse. Kurt Cobain had a relationship with fame where being famous was not his goal. He loved music, but the idea of being famous for music was the double-edged sword for him. And that made me think of Rob Pattinson, actually, because Rob is a very private person himself and doesn't necessarily like the part of being recognized everywhere as an actor. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, This is the first version of Batman to directly address the black eye makeup under the cowl. In previous versions of the film, the the makeup just disappeared when Bruce took his mask off. Batman Returns, for example. Matt Reeves says, I just love the idea of taking off the mask and under under that there's the sweating and the dripping and the whole theatricality of becoming this character. The movie's working title was Vengeance. Mm Mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson is a big fan of Batman since he was a child and saw every previous iteration of the character in the cinema on opening weekend. That's nice to know. I I, I like that. Yeah. When shooting began after months of lockdown due to COVID-19, Pattinson tested positive after only one day back on set. Director Matt Reeves didn't want to risk getting COVID-2 and transformed himself on set into a burrito, wearing a mask, gloves, a head covering, and scuba diving goggles. Kind of reminds me of the Riddler, actually. Yeah. Uh, Reeves said, you couldn't see my face, and this is the way the actors saw me for the rest of the movie. I was like this ridiculous, hermetically sealed creature. It was absurd. <laughs> Matt Reeves and Tim Burton are the only filmmakers to have helmed films in both the Planet of the Apes and Batman franchises. Oh, that's an interesting piece of trivia. I never thought of that. That's true. Yeah. There we go. And that was Trivia, trivia Corner. Corner. Drop page. Did you enjoy this? If you did, stay tuned next week for our uh, follow-up episode on Batman in general. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Facebook. What's our seat number? The Facebook group. And uh, please comment on our posts. Let us know what movies you'd like us to do in the future. uh, What you thought about this episode. Uh, You can also give us ideas for future episode cover art if i'm going to be doing that from now on that'd be really uh, cool to get some opinions from you guys um if you want to see some of the cover art being done uh between episodes then you can uh, follow me on twitch cygross art uh, and i will be uh, uh drawing some of those covers live um we also have a Twitter, don't we? Do we tweet? We don't we, really we, tweet. We have a Twitter. We don't really tweet, but we have a Twitter. If you come, we'll tweet. Yes. <laughs> if you let us know that you're there, we'll do it. Let us know you're alive. Because I was uh, I was told mistakenly that uh, if I tweeted, they will come, and they didn't. <laughs> hey! Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed The Batman, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know what you thought of the movie in the comments on the Facebook page, and we will see you in the next episode where Johnny will turn into a bat. I'm Batman. Oh, it's happened. Never mind. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What's our seat number?